Welcome to the Natural Running Network, the information resource for athletes that are trying to get it done and get it done right. My name is Richard Diaz. I'm your host. Sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, all right, all right. I've got a podcast for you that was done for Ryan Fisher and his podcast, but I thought you guys really needed to hear this. I think it's good stuff. I know many of you are into CrossFit. I know many of you are now getting into High Rocks. And given the circumstances, I think that you'll really love getting this content. So here we go. All right. We got Mr. Richard Diaz on the show. Really, really excited here because basically the main reason we created the Dark Horse program was to get people to understand how to be training for CrossFit because there is a lot of different programs out there, but there really is no programs out there that teach people how to embrace the suck a little bit more and get rid of this fatigue factor that we all feel while we're working out. So Mr. Diaz here obviously has, what are you, 30, 40 years? I'm older than shit, dude. (laughs) But basically you have enough years to say, hey, listen, I know what the fuck I'm talking about and I'm going to back it up with a whole bunch of data. And on top of that, I'm going to prove to you guys that this shit works. So you've created this really cool kind of, can we call it an infinity ring? Uh, Yeah, if you want to, you know, on that note, instead of being an asshole, let me just embellish. I've been in the business of measuring performance of athletes for over 25 years. So when I say that, I'm talking about specifically concerned with what another individual athlete needs to do in order to improve upon whatever task they are uh, embarking upon. And that's kind of been my, you know, I, I like to refer to it. You, you gave me this, this catchphrase. That's my jam. It's what I do. And uh, I found it interesting that the CrossFit community goes in hard. I mean, so powerful, so strong, so capable, go into these workouts so, so aggressively, and then end up on the floor when it's over. And I thought to myself, well, that doesn't seem like a successful outcome. To me, being able to walk away from it when you're done and not having been just completely beat down for having done it and still be successful is a much better path. And so we set about developing this program. We did the Dark Horse program initially, and then now we came back with Dark Horse 2. And the things that we needed to work out in respect to the bugs were definitely worked out this time around. So as is going to be very clear when people see the videos that are out there that are going to show up, what the premiere video is coming out on YouTube tomorrow, correct? I think so. Yeah, it's about uh, 12, 14 minutes worth of explanation and observation of what it is that we specifically did in in order to arrive at the conclusions that we did. And in the business that I'm in, I thought that was such a cool thing to do. I just... I just got so excited about the ability to really draw out what should be the approach to the specific exercises. So and it was cool to have the athletes there and actually share their experience and, you know, completely just uncut average conversation. Like we had cooler stuff probably off camera that was being said than we even got on camera. I know. Really amazing. I know. Well, you know, obviously it, to me, this is our baby, right? And we throw it out there and, you know, we don't know everything that goes on. We don't know what people's opinions are about the work they've done. But to have somebody come out, somebody I don't know, incidentally, let's to be clear, 
I didn't know Jen Ryan or Eric before they walked into the secret lab and I shook hands with them and we, we, we set about doing the work. And for her to come out and say, look, I did this last program and it completely changed the way I approach work and I'm performing better and I'm definitely getting through this without the, the sense of fatigue that I had in, in my earlier career as an athlete. I mean, it's like you and I both, I mean, we just kind of got buttery when we heard that. Yeah. And she's training with, you know, Lauren Fisher and a bunch of other great athletes who've even been asking her like, man, what have you been doing? So with that being said, a lot of the listeners right now, whether or not they've ever seen the program or want to get into the program or not, I think what they're going to be interested in is like, all right, what really should we be doing when we go into these workouts? And what are like some of the most common things that people do wrong? So obviously people go, you know, balls deep in all the workouts and that's obviously the wrong way to go. But there's also other factors that they don't take into account when like, let's say going into a 20 minute AMRAP and understanding how to pace yourself because you watch the CrossFit games and Matt Frazier just walks away and he's like totally fine. And there's somebody else who, you know, was right behind him the whole time and he's absolutely dead. He's lying on the ground and there's, you know, two different athletes going on there. So what are some of the common mistakes that people are doing wrong that they could fix just off of? Yeah. Okay. I get it. So the first thing I think is identification, you know, endurance athletes. I think that uh, there's something to be learned from that community because they're very much in tune to what their threshold is. And for those that aren't familiar with this means, this is the point I refer to it as a metabolic turn point where you've gone away from the ability to access fat as an energy source and moving directly into your carbohydrate stores, which in itself is not a problem, but the deeper you are into the carbohydrate, the more lactate you produce. And anybody that's been in a gym knows that lactate burn when they, for a good example of this is getting on like a leg extension machine and just busting out like 20 repetitions with max capacity and your, your legs are fired up and then you have to walk away from it, shake it out and hopefully you can come back and get another set. Well, that ensuing production of lactate in those regional muscles just becomes untenable and it starts to make you basically punch drug. Your muscles are just not functioning anymore. And so the thing that is done too often is people go way into the paint. They come in hard and they expect that one day, if they keep beating their head against it, it's just going to move. It's just going to allow them to do more and more work. And it just doesn't. And so the idea is that you have to learn to make peace with this ensuing production of lactate. And so what we've done in this program is we've shown them how to approach the work from a heart rate perspective and even show them how they can actually marry this information up with the output. So, for example, like on a rower or a skier, or even on, for example, an assault bike, these devices will show you the the workload in watts. And if you're operating at a particular heart rate, you're guarding your heart rate as you're doing the work, and you see the the production of work, you can see how many watts you're producing relative to that heart rate, you're going to start noticing that you can produce more work at less expense. And that's kind of what we've done with this flow cycle that I keep talking about. The flow cycle is you making your way in and out of this intensity, but never going in so deep that it becomes untenable. Never going in so deep that it's going to require five minutes recovery. Because then it's over. It's, I did this this morning, by the way. 
I had an athlete in my place yesterday that's doing the High Rocks program. And here's a guy that we've actually created a, uh, a hashtag. <laughs> we call it doing the Stratton. And what that basically means is every time he does an exercise that's intense, he has to sit down for a little while. So even his wife, you know, she'll say, uh, so what are you doing? She goes, I'm doing the Stratton. But he's gotten to be famous for having to sit down after you've done a work. So what I did is I said, let's get on the treadmill and let's, we know that your threshold's at about 160 beats per minute. We're not going to exceed that. Typically, if I was just trying to create pace with him, we'd push right through that heart rate and start trying to dip into that five minute mile. And when that happens, he exceeds his threshold and then he'll maybe produce the work for a little bit. But then the response is that he's incapable of sustaining the effort. He needs to take a break. Otherwise, he's going to fail. And so we just stayed in. And I taught him to lay in there and get the application. We did the same thing on the rower. We did the same thing on the skier. We did the same thing on the biker. And concept was to just get him to understand that it's an application, not an event. That's the biggest difference I think we're making here. And what we found through Dark Horse 1 and Dark Horse 2 was that these variable heart rate changes and beats per minute and everything is basically, they're unique to the apparatus that you're on. Absolutely. Because it's changing dramatically between like an assault bike versus a rower. Yeah, of no, course. Like, and, and, and running as, as well. Right. And so we wanted to identify what that difference was. And what was unique too is that we found that uh, there's a significant difference relative to mass. So you might get a guy that, you know, because most heart rate specific programs are built around age and gender. For example, you know, we have for the longest time told people, you know, subtract your age from 180, boom, there's your aerobic threshold, add 10 beats, boom, there's your anaerobic threshold. Well, what if you're 200 pounds? You're not overweight. You're just bigger. Moving that much mass on a treadmill in an open chain kinetic exercise is completely different than being on a rower. He could crush a rower and be in control of it where the run crushes him because it's open chain. He's throwing his mass in the air and landing on the ground and that changes everything. So, and same thing with someone that's lighter, you get a female that doesn't weigh nearly as much as, you know, for example, like Jen was like 128 pounds. Her heart rate response on the treadmill was really high and, and she was very capable there where if I put her on the, the rowing machine, it's a different story. So we took that into account, which I don't think anybody has ever done that before. Yeah, I remember hearing some of the people from Dark Horse One saying like, you know, this workout was almost impossible. It was so hard. It's probably because the number was just a little bit off. It was they off. Had to, yeah, they had to hold a little bit too high of a heart rate for like a run or a bike or something like so, like that. Yeah, and incidentally, there's something I haven't told you is I did a podcast uh, last week with, uh, one of the, with a marketing director for Concept2. Oh, nice. And I discussed this with him and he said, dude, he goes, I've been following your work. He goes, I don't think anybody's ever addressed the circumstances the way you guys did. He goes, I've been with Concept2 for 24 years and I used to be the product tester. So he, he was the guy that they, they put on all the devices to, to figure out what they wanted to do with their development. And uh, so he's been at it a really long time and he's also a very avid CrossFit athlete. And he told me, he goes, man, he goes, what you guys are doing is crazy. Nobody's done that before. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like, I like hearing that, especially from someone from C2. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of people are hearing this. They're probably hearing, like you say, you know, fat utilization and then carb utilization and getting into your sugar stores and all these different things. 
And I think it's just natural that some of the listeners are going to say, well, is there any sort of diet that I should be following while following a program like this? Like, do you have, you know, much um, recommendations on diets? Because a lot of people are in between this high fat or low or low fat or, you know, they're in a weird place in their life right now. Where they're trying to figure out what's going to be good for performance. Yeah, for me, I, I've always been pretty conservative about nutrition. And it almost doesn't matter what type of uh, work you do. It's really a, a function of how much volume you need to get. So as a matter of fact, because Jen is a nutritionist and she does write nutrition programs for a lot of her friends and, and the people she competes with, we talked about it because I was curious to see uh, whether she was interested in doing programs that are more high fat or low carb. And I was actually expecting her to tell me something like that, but she didn't. She said she, she felt that the biggest uh, problem she sees is that they, these athletes don't tend to take in enough carbohydrate. And carbohydrate is where you're going for your energy sources. And I don't think it becomes a problem in any given workout. But I think when you're carb depleted, and this is something that happens over time, that you'll wake up in the morning and you won't be suspicious of the fact that you've, you've been in gluconeogenesis all night long. So your body's been crunching up the muscle in order to create the carbohydrate that you weren't putting in the body the day before. And this gets insidious over time. So you might find that over the course of a week or two weeks or even a month that you've just been running with the devil the whole time and you can't figure out why your performances aren't coming together. And it could very well be that you're just energy depleted. You're not, you're not in a place where you can function as efficiently as you could. So, I mean, again, I, I mentioned that I was conservative. I like to see on average about 60% carbohydrate, 20% fat, 20% protein. But then it comes down to how much volume. So I might have mentioned this to you before. Uh, you know, we do resting metabolic assessments all the time. I've been doing that for many, many years. And, and I find the biggest problem with most athletes is they had no idea that they needed as many calories as they weren't getting. And I found this very specifically with Hunter McIntyre, by the way, where yeah. I tested him and he was – pretty good about paying attention to his caloric intake. And I think he was rolling at about 3,500 calories thereabouts a day on average. And uh, we bumped him up 1,500 calories daily and he got leaner. He actually started losing body fat. He got into a better place. I think that's really kind of where I roll. I mean, you start talking nutrition, as, as you well know, you know, you're writing program for people. It can go down all kinds of paths and some yeah. people find greater success here or there. Have you, have you had any athletes that are on a high fat diet who are pretty, pretty, pretty well off, like in the endurance world? I've had people try to become fat adapted. And for example, in the endurance world, there's a guy by the name of Zach Bittner, who is just a machine. I mean, I think he set the world record for 100 miles recently. And this guy is pretty much fat adapted through his diet daily. But when he competes, he does take on carbs. Mm. Um, so a lot of people go, oh, well, he's really good. So I'll do what he does and I'll be like him. Well, I'd love to do a VO2 max test on this guy just to find out how far into his intensity he can go before he starts scavenging off his carbohydrate. I think that there's probably some unique circumstances about him that allows him to do what he does. But, you know, you know how it is. Everybody wants to follow the leader, right? So they yep. want to chase that. So uh, where I'm going with this is I've had people come in and I've tested them. And it showed that their, 
that they were so replete in their carbohydrate intake that they they're probably been scavenging their muscle for forever and just it's just a terrible imbalance in their nutrition because hmm. i've seen stuff with like ben greenfield i think is a big fan of higher fat lower carbohydrate and he's he was like one of those i mean i don't know how good he ever was at spartan racing but i know that he was i think somewhat decent yeah or no <laughs> i can't remember well I just know he's a big person that people like to see on social media, and he, yeah, talk, yeah. he always well, talks you about know, he, Ben talks a good game. He's not, never has been very good at Spartan racing. I don't, I don't believe he's ever won a race. He certainly, you know, he's competing at elite caliber events. And uh, matter of fact, I don't even think he's racing anymore. But no, he's not. He was, while he was racing, uh, I don't think he's ever even got on a podium. To my yeah, record. I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. But you know, I mean, different strokes, different folks. I, I just. And he also eats uh, crickets for protein. I, I'm not eating a cricket. I'll, I prefer to have a steak. I, think. <laughs> uh, I just like to get into like the little bit of the nutrition stuff because people always are re- super interested in that stuff. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. Getting back to the program stuff now, what are some of the increases in VO2 max that you've seen from somebody who follows, you know, kind of your protocol for, let's just call it, I don't know, one month, three months, six months? How does it, how does it usually? Well, the out? unfortunate end is because the program has been so new, we really haven't had a chance to go back and check to see whether the VO2 has improved or whatever with these people. But I can tell you that, as you know, I coach internationally. I have athletes all over the world that I work with and relative to the type of event they're preparing for has much to do with the way we approach the intensity and the work. And I have had many occasion where I've tested athletes that I've changed the way they're approaching their training and develop a more careful approach to the intensity and seeing dramatic improvements in their VO2 scores. A good example of that is VJ Jones, who I've been coaching. He's one of the top athletes in OCR in, in the world right now today. And I think he won 11 of 14 races last year, thereabouts. And uh, his VO2 score was pretty high, which uh, I thought was one of the reasons why I got interested in him to begin with. He was I think his VO2 score was close to 70 when I met him. And um, the last time I tested him, he blew a 79.6. And he was concerned that his VO2 wasn't where it needed to be. So without even talking about it, I started plying him into a greater intensity and pushing him towards, towards shorter duration events because I, I knew he shines there. For example, those Spartan sprints and stadium races, he's unbeatable. He's just unbeatable. And we saw his VO2 score really improve when the intensity of the, the workouts became greater and the duration became shorter. And so in this program, and I think most importantly, is the thresholds are going to start moving. The thresholds are going to start going up, which means that they can tolerate that waste production. That's what matters. Not your VO2 score, but how much lactate your body can take on and how comfortable you are when it happens. So now the Spartan world now has created this new thing and it's called Hydrox? Spartan has come up with a thing called DecaFit. Okay. But there's another event called Hyrox that came out of Europe. It's actually out, I think it's out of Germany. And now that program is right along the same lines as what occurs in a uh, CrossFit competition minus the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. So for example, going really, really hard on uh, a skier, you know, I think the, the protocol is a thousand meters on the skier. And then there might be like a hundred wall ball squats. There might be 
a sled push pull and every exercise you conduct you have to follow it up with a thousand meter run and so there i think there's eight exercises eight one thousand meter runs but this is high intensity work this is you redlining the entire time for i think the world record right now is about 55 minutes does hunter have it hunter's the world champion at this moment yeah 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 so something like dark horse would benefit someone who wants to do a program like that correct Yes, absolutely. And then what about someone like a 5K recreational runner who wants to get better at running? Well, because the program is so slanted towards the the strength component and the cardio component is, you know, obviously we were doing cardio on various devices. I work with runners and runners need to run. So I would probably dissuade someone that's like focused on a 5K type of event from doing this program simply because he's really probably going to want to develop more of an aerobic engine than an anaerobic engine. And this program is really all about developing an anaerobic capacity. That's really where we've gone with this. And I think that this is the, the part of it that's entertaining to me because I know there's a lot of people out there that are chasing this aerobic component and it's an oxymoron. You can't, you can't really develop high intensity capacity and aerobic capacity at the same time. They're, they're polar opposite actions. Okay. So anybody who's mixing together multiple styles of training is going to benefit basically from the program. Like if we had to define that, because I don't want people to think that it's just for crossfitters. Yeah. So let let me just be clear. If I used to own gyms, I don't know if I told you this, but I've owned big box gyms for 15 years. I know about exercise and I know about the type of folks that get into a gym to, to get their workouts in just to stay healthy, just to stay fit. And this program covers all those bases. If someone was to do this program for eight weeks, they're going to get in really tremendous shape. And I don't care what your, what your goals are in life. At the end of eight, eight weeks, you're going to find that you're stronger. Your energy capacity to produce work is going to be far and away greater than it ever has been. And the, the cool thing, too, is it's purposeful. You, you, this is giving you a script to follow that allows you to get into great shape. You don't have to be a CrossFit athlete to do well here, but I think it's universally accepted. When I said, man, not maybe a runner, you know, anybody that knows anything about running knows that to be better at running, you just need to do a lot of running. You know, there's some supplemental exercise you might do, but at the end of the day, if you want to be really, really fast and really good at running, you got to do a lot of running and there's not that much running to speak of in this program. There's enough in it for a CrossFit athlete to get what they need in order to improve their running. And guess what? We provided a video, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's a video for the running. Yeah. So the big deal with running is how to run. You'd be surprised. I mean, I've made a living helping people run. That's my gig. I help people understand how to approach their running so that they don't injure themselves and they're able to produce more work and thus they end up being more proficient with it. I mean, this is how I've got athletes to follow me from all over the world is they found through word of mouth that I'm causing people to run injury free and get better at that element of things. So the video we created, and I don't think we give this enough energy, the video we created that we're now going to bundle with this program for much less money than we started out with is opening up Pandora's box. It's giving people an opportunity to learn how to run, 
apply their skills that they learned from the video into the training. And that's going to be like, you know, we talked about this peanut butter and jelly. It's kind of like that, right? Yeah. I think it's really, really interesting. Like the, in, the entire process of how it all goes on is I think every program starts off pretty good. And then hopefully if you're doing it right and you, you care about what you do, then you start to just add little bits to it and make it better and better and better and better. So I'm excited to see how people do on the new version of it, especially with the unique heart rates for each apparatus is going to be really great. Well, the other thing that we did that's different is that I added in some very specific trials so that all along the way you could start to measure your progress. And there's anaerobic performance trial where you can actually see whether things are coming together for you. It's a very clean and very cool way to measure your progress. We also introduced very specific workouts that are maximum lactate tolerance workouts that I think are going to be really, really powerful in the equation. These are a couple of things that weren't in the first program that I think are going to make a big difference. So, I mean, at the end of the day, comparatively speaking, the biggest difference is the heart rate responses are, are far more tuned to the particular devices and efforts. The flow is much easier to understand, and it's a lot more applicable to all the things that we're doing. We've got time trials built in that's going to show you that the progress is actually coming along fine. I mean, everything about the program is, it's a complete remake. It really is a complete remake. So in terms of heart rate and all of your experience right now with training, how important is heart rate training versus just going off a of feel or, yeah, I just, I just say going off a of feel. I think most people, if you're not doing heart rate related training, you're just going off a of feel. And I think a lot of people, sometimes people think that heart rate training is like, you know, too much or it's a pain in the ass or this or that. Can we just shed some light on like how important is it to actually know where your heart rate is at? Because I feel like heart rate training can be comparable to me programming a nutrition program for somebody. And I'm like, if you don't know your fucking macros, it's going to be really hard for you to get anywhere. So if you don't know your heart rate, it's going to be really fucking hard for you to get anywhere. It's a very good point and a very good question. And I can tell you, I've been wrestling with this for 25 years. I mean, you have to appreciate that my existence, my, my occupation for all these years has been measuring the cost of work. There is no other metric that I'm aware of that's more specific to what cost there is associated with what you do. And your perception could be skewed often. So this ensuing production of lactate could be coming on and you feel just rosy. People talk about running a marathon and they talk about the, the infamous wall. So 20 miles deep is kind of where that happens, where people feel like all of a sudden somebody punched them in the face. They're punch drunk. They're, you know, they're scrambling all over the road. They don't know what, it's like somebody hit them with a car. I just read this in the David Goggins book. He talks about this a lot. Yeah, yeah. You so five minutes ago, everything was wonderful. You're not out of gas until you're out of gas. And you don't know that you're out of gas until you're out of gas. So from a standpoint of energy cost, you can't perceive that you're almost depleted. As long as there's something in the tank, you still got, you could still roll. It's like, I wouldn't get in my car and head to the airport, which is 60 miles from here without knowing how much gas is in the tank. Now, in CrossFit or high-intensity, hour-long workouts, you're not going to run out of energy. You're going to have plenty of energy regardless of where you're drawing it from. It's going to be there for you. But what's going to happen is this insidious production of lactate that's associated with you being into the carbohydrate stores too hard is the problem. 
So all of a sudden, you're not able to lift that weight anymore. All of a sudden, you have to slow down on that skier or that rower because you're basically blowing up. Your, your body is so toxic, you can't function. And so in order to know how to train appropriately, you have to have a measure. And most people looking at output. So if you're looking at how many watts you're producing, that's what you're getting paid for what you've done. The question is, what did you pay to get that element? So it's think of it like going to the store and purchasing something and you, have, you just give them your credit card and you have no idea what it costs you, right? It's just, you get home, you find out you're broke. <laughs> you that's, know? A, that's a really good analogy. I like that a lot. Well, so the heart rate is a way to determine what it's costing you to do what you're doing. It's like, it's like pancake without the syrup. You know, you've got to know. And by the way, I've had this conversation with guys in the cycling world. I'm talking about professional coaches that have gone in exclusively to focusing on power output on the bike. And I've made the argument and people that know better stood by me on this. It's like, uh, you can look at your output and say, okay, I can hold 300 Watts on the bike. Well, what did it cost you to get the 300 Watts? If you don't look at the expense, you can't really depend on the yield. You need both those elements in play. So the more you start to look at your heart rate and the more you start to consider the cost of work. And we've done that for you in this program. We've told you where to be careful. We've told you what's hot. We told you what's not. We've put it out there for you. We made it really simple to figure out. You know, Sally's 30 years old. She's doing this exercise. This is what her heart rate responses should look like when she's training. We're doing all that part for you. All you got to do is look down and make sure that the heart rate's doing what you hope to do and don't let it get out of control. And you'll start to notice and by the way, after a while, you become really dependent upon it because you realize that it's really making a big difference for you. That's the buy-in. You've got to test it for a while. You've got to trust it for a while. And then you won't leave home without it, I promise. Yeah, it's, like, it's accountability. You might think that you're going hard and you're really just not. <laughs> I think it's well, great. Right? I have these heart rate monitors in my gym. It's, and we use MyZone. Yeah. And um, it's, it's really easy for me to find out if someone is dogging it because they're going to be like, oh, man, I'm dying. And I look up and I'll be like, motherfucker, your heart rate is not even that high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. not dying. You're just, you're just being yeah. a pussy today. So, like, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. You know, like, I yeah. like seeing that stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So what are some of your heart – what are your favorite heart rate monitor devices you like people to use? You know, that's a good question, too. And to be honest with you, in all the years that I've, I've been in the business of heart rate, I've pretty much had – my hands on most all of them at one point or another. And, uh, you know, it gets to a place where Garmin used to be known for the GPS. Garmin, the company itself, is all about GPS. It wasn't a big deal for them to throw heart rate into the fray, and, and they developed a, a decent computer. Polar was all about heart rate, not so much about GPS. All they needed to do was throw GPS into the fray, and, they, you know, they had a decent computer. And so they're all kind of on the same playing field, really, from a standpoint of what's a good monitor to own. To be honest with you, I don't like to see my clients get married to an expensive monitor because it's like, you know, when you, you buy a new computer, two weeks later, a new one comes out, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, spending $500 on a, on a heart rate monitor, yeah, it's a cool looking monitor and, you know, you're going to be the envy of your friends or whatever, but in, it's not going to be that much more effective. What I look for in a monitor is one that does have GPS and is reliable, that does have a chest strap, mind you. you know, I was going to ask that. Yeah, these days everybody's relying on these optical sensors that are underneath the, uh, the watch. 
And the problem with optical sensors is they're depending on blood flow. They're not really looking at what your heart's doing. And so realize that especially in a, in a sport where you're lifting heavy, the vasoconstriction that occurs when you grab a bar with a heavy, heavy weight on it, or a good example would be toes to bar. You do 15 toes to bar, you jump down, your heart rate monitor says you're 105 beats per minute. And you know that ain't right. You know you're just about to die. Uh, yeah. But because of the vasoconstriction, you're, you're inhibiting the blood flow to that, to that device, and it screws it up. If you stand there for 10 minutes or five minutes, the heart rate will go right back up again. You'll see, whoa, you got that, what they call cardiac creep, comes along and boom, you go, wow, I, I'm really taxed here. I, I didn't think I was. At least the monitor says that it wasn't. Uh, so I, I like to depend on a chest strap because that's giving you heart rate right off your chest. Now, one caveat to that is the new thing is the thing that goes around the bicep. And mm -hmm. uh, because it's not so far down in the extremities, it might do a better job. I do have some athletes that are using those and they seem to like them pretty well. But I, I'm just, until I'm absolutely convinced that there's a better way to go, I'm just going to be re relying on what I know works, which is a chest strap. So is there any brands, are there, are there any brands that have a chest strap that's not made out of cloth? Cause I think the biggest pain in the ass for me is like, I use my MyZone one and it gets so sweaty and disgusting that I don't even want to, I don't even want to wear it anymore sometimes. And it's like, yeah. I wish this thing was just like a rubber. Yeah. Like some yeah. Sort of rubber. Yeah. Well, the MyZone strap, uh, it's not that great. I'll be honest yeah. with you. Um, but, uh, and by the way, I like those guys. I I've met those guys. I actually did a project on the, uh, when uh, Spartan did the Spartan cruise to the Bahamas, uh, they had me come along and I did some heart rate specific stuff. I had everybody doing burpees. And the, the goal was uh, do burpees for five minutes. Do not let your heart rate go over a particular number. And you know how with my zone, you could see all the heart rates splaying out on the screen. And so we were making people sit out, sit out, sit out. The goal was who could do the most burpees without having their heart rate be out of control. Uh, I use my zone for that. So I'm familiar with those guys and I think it's great for a gym. Matter of fact, I'd like to have it here just to be able to look at workouts that guys are doing here. But I could tell you a great heart rate monitor is the Polar H10, just the strap. Now, the cool thing about the H10 is that it, it will give you reliable heart rate while you're swimming, which most of the monitors don't do that. The ones that I use in my lab that we were using for testing or whatever is the earlier version, which is the H7. And if you don't want to wear the watch while you're training, there's so many heart rate apps out there that are compatible with the uh, heart rate straps. You don't really need, I don't even do that. I, I put a chest strap on and I, I have my phone in the little cradle that goes on, you know, little cradle that uh, Concept2 makes. I put my phone in there. I see my heart rate while I'm training and uh, I don't even wear the watch. So, and that works really, really well. And that's cheaper too. So you could you can get a, for example, you can go on Amazon and buy an H7 for like, I think $69. I just, I just wrote down the H10. I want to check it out. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. H10 is under hundred. I think it's 99 bucks. And okay. you put the strap on, you, you got an app. One of the apps that I, you can use Strava, you can use, you know, so many different apps out there these days. So I like Strava a lot. It's really cool. You can do all sorts of cool stuff on there. Well, you're cycling too. So yeah, you, it'd be cool to do it that way too. I thought about getting into like some more like aggressive endurance kind of races on the, on the bike. There's some pretty prestigious races you can get into on the mountain bike, which I'm looking to get into because I'm, I got, I want, I want to scratch some itches that I have right now at the moment. 
But you know, um, it's, it's funny. Concept two. I I told you I, I had a conversation. His name's Greg Hammond, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually met him before. Yeah. Well, Greg Greg told me he said Richard. He goes, we would love you to write a mountain bike training program. Oh yeah, I would take that too. Yeah, he said we'll plug it into to our blog. And he goes, you have people all over the world doing your program because he's all about it. He's chased the dark horse thing. He really loves what we're doing. Ah, well, actually, the Valley program is pretty interesting. <laughs> I'd definitely be into that. So yeah. let, let me get a couple things here. So I'm an athlete right now. I'm probably a weekend warrior type athlete. I like to work out in the gym like five days a week. This is not me personally, but someone else listening. I work out five, six days a week. And I want to get more serious about my training because I want to do, you know, some sort of event or I want to, I want to recreationally start to compete in different things. And I just, I do care about my performance and I do want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. What are like five, three to five attributes that I should be focusing on primarily going into a more competitive style of training versus me just going to the gym and doing my thing? Well, again, this program we just wrote, as you suggested, is universal. We can put this out to almost anybody and they could be successful with it. And the goal would be, A, am I going to be fitter? I'm interested in fitness. I want to be fitter. Now, let's just say that you applied yourself for eight weeks and you did this program as best you can. And the reason I'm saying as best you can, maybe you start out and you're not in really good shape and the program kicks your ass, right? They could do that. But you do the best you can, you take on what you can, and you'll start noticing that over the course of the eight weeks, like anything else, you're able to do more and more and more and more of the program. By the time the program is finished, you've got this end product. You are fit. You're in so much better shape than you were before. Then you decide what you want to do. So, you know what? I want to start running. I want to start cycling. I want to do whatever. The world is your oyster now because you've set yourself up for an opportunity to, to lend yourself in whatever directions you want to go. So don't think of it as an end product. It could very well be just this place between places. I need to get in better shape. What do people think? People come to you, they say, I want to get in better shape, right? Yeah, that's the goal. You'll have a lot of people that you communicate with that say, you know, it may be unrealistic for me to look like you or, you know, get those abs like that, which would be cool. I just want to be in better shape. How many people say that to you? I don't think they actually say they want to be in better shape. They just... Um, I mean, that like they do that not directly, like that is the goal, but they're like embarrassed to say it usually. So they just well, say, I, like, tell you, I want to start a program. Maybe, maybe you intimidate them a little bit. I could tell you being a gym owner back in the day, when I was doing training with people in my facility, that would be what they tell me. Um, yeah. I want to be in better shape. I want to be in better shape. Or they'll say something like, I just want to be able to do X when I'm 40. I want to do blah, blah, blah when I'm 50. I want to be able to have a healthy lifestyle. You know, I don't want to get to 50 and then everything, the walls start falling in on me. You know, their aspiration commonly is to get into a better place with their body and just have a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's great to to get that that physique. You know, that'd be great. But at the end of the day, you can, as you know, you can be in really solid fitness and not look as ripped as a Ryan Fisher, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously learning how to control your heart rate is, is one. Two, understanding, would, like, understanding what you should be doing when you walk in the gym. 
because a lot of people just go in and they just don't have a plan. Maybe it's leg day or it's back day or whatever. But what the fuck does that mean, right? And how yeah. much should you do and all that, right? And then also just like having the willingness to be able to suffer, I think is a big one. <laughs> you got to understand that this shit's not going to be easy. If it was easy, then everybody would be, you know, Spartan champions. Everybody would be ripped and everybody would be selling programs online and this and that. Um, and then I think having trust in your coach is a, is a huge one. If I was to add another one in there, like understanding like, you know, your background and where you came from and where these numbers come from. And we're not just throwing darts at a board. This is real stuff here that a lot of people are not putting the time in. They're just creating programs that work for them and then they sell it to everybody else. But what about the guy who's been spending 25 years behind the computer in his, in his back cave up in, uh, in Malibu? <laughs> yeah, well, and I didn't spend all 25 years in my back cave. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've, I've got, I got my very prestigious back game. <laughs> I've, I've spent, I've spent my time out on the road and I, and I, I had my taste of, I've had people talk to me. They, they look, say, wow, you know, he's 67 years old. You know, you're what, 33 right now? 30, 33. Yep. Okay. 33 years ago, I was killing it. <laughs> 33 years ago. So I, I, th- I had this thought today, you know, I'm so wrapped up in thought with all this stuff these days. But I thought about this the other day, because you got these athletes out there, they have what I refer to as the study of one. And they're going to start spouting off about what you should be doing and why you should be doing it, because they're living it right now. It's all like omnipresent, right? Well, I went down that road. I've done all that. And then I've had 30 years to reflect on it. Think about that for a minute. Gone from doing the work and then having another lifetime to think about the outcome. And get to that place where people are scared of, like, well, I hope when I'm 50 that I can, you know, 67, I'm still out there trying to do something. You know, I did my last uh, triathlon at 63. And by mind you, I'm not the pinnacle of health these days, but I'm just reflecting on the experience. It's just a lot of experience has gone into the thing. And to this day, I, I catch myself going, man, I can't believe I've literally tested over the years thousands thousands of athletes where they came to me all walks of life various professions professional boxer world-class boxers professional hockey teams soccer i mean i've had a chance to experience the assessment of all these athletes over the years and so now i'm at this point in my life where i really want to dig deep and, and share what i've learned you know, I've learned so much from this. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that know tons more than I do about this type of thing, but we're not devoid. We're not devoid of the information. We know what we're doing. Yeah. It's like, if, when you when you put it like that, it's like, how the fuck could I not want to be part of something like that? <laughs> that I'm, I'm sitting here right now like, fuck, I want to go work out. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to pound my chest. I'm just saying that you get to my age, you know, you start thinking about where's this going? You know, what brought me here? This program put my heart and soul into it. I put my heart and soul into it. And I think, I, I know, I don't think, I know that if people apply themselves and they trust us in this process, they're going to see results that, that are unimaginable. They're going to go, I cannot believe how effective that's been for me. And I think that the goal now is to get as many people to get, get into it as we can, as we can find. So we got a couple athletes right now. They're up out, out in Invictus for those of you who don't know. And we have a couple other athletes out here in SoCal who are on the program 
and I think pretty soon you guys are going to be hearing it just about all over the place. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be a household name in the industry for people trying to get better and better work capacity. Well, and I, I would invite people to look at the YouTube channel and see the work we did. Get a look. At, if you don't have the hair stand up on your arms, when you see the video of the work we did uh, on YouTube, you, you're dead asleep. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. For those of you who, if you potentially don't go and watch it, we're basically in Rich's backyard, very beautiful pool sit setting, but everybody's in this midst of this beautiful area. Everyone's dying on the <laughs> rower, on the rower, the bike, the, the ski. Yeah. And we're testing all the different variables for each one and making these numbers. And I mean, Rich did an amazing job at literally making literally the, the perfect program. It's, I mean, if you're a, if you're an athlete, if you're, if you're religious, you follow the Bible. If you're an athlete, you're going to follow the dark horse program. Whoa. That's pretty strong. <laughs> That's pretty strong. Well, and, uh, uh, and, and Jesus of running wrote it himself. So we're good. To go. <laughs> oh man. Come on. All right. So I don't want to, I don't want to, Oh God. First of all, uh, I think that uh, it was, it was a very cool thing for you and I to come together on this. Getting your experience uh, with the CrossFit community, the workouts that you've written for people, still write for people. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done this without your experience in this. And I think just the two of us created a perfect storm. So people that know you, follow you, trust you, and you endorsing this idea, that's great. I'm just saying, don't know me? Fine. Do the workouts and see whether whether I was right. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for people to do them for sure. And uh, I'm happy to be part of it. It's always cool to be part of something that's never been done before. So I think that's what I'm most excited about is it's just never been done before. So I think people listen and they're like, oh, it's another program or it's another this. Or, no, 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 no. This is, this is like, this is, this is a book in your bookshelf that has never been written. This is a, this is, this is a new frontier of, of training. So I'm really, yeah. really excited for to get their hands on it. Excited to be part of it. Excited to have you on the podcast. Excited to know you as a human being. And excited to see the results. So tell me this. I know that we've got production companies that are working on getting the thing available to people. When do you think we will see this out there for people? Uh, well, this podcast will not be airing for me on my network for probably about two weeks. But if you are hearing it now and it's two weeks later, it's definitely out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And and right now, what is the date right now? It is Today's the eighteenth. Uh, yeah, I would say in the next in the next seven days, it'll be out there for sure. Excellent. All and right, well, I'm looking forward to it. And anybody that's looking to uh, ask me questions, they can find me at Instagram, right? At uh, at Diaz HP. Yep. D i a z h p. At Diaz HP. Yep. D i a z h p. No spaces, no underlines, nothing like that. And then, what is your website? DiazHumanPerformance.com. DiazHumanPerformance.com. And in, in addition to all these things, if you guys need um, any sort of help with your running, you have, you have multiple running books. Yeah. You, know, you, have a, yeah you, have a, you have that 5K book, actually, right? I have a 5K. I've got a 10K. I've got a half marathon. I've got a book that's called My Best Race. It's all-inclusive. Talks about how to prepare for a marathon. I, I'm working on another one for Ultra. I just finished a program Actually, it's finishing up March 1st. There's a 20-week ultra-distance running program that I have about 40 athletes involved in. I do a lot of work with obstacle course racing athletes. Put on the clinics. We put on these clinics about four a year here in Southern California. 
but you'll find all that information on the website, bshumanperformance.com. Cool. Well, thank you so much for giving me some time. I know it's very valuable and you have not a lot of it. So thank you so much. And I'm sure I'll see you soon. I'm actually headed off to Miami myself tomorrow and I'll be telling people about the Dark Horse program. And if they didn't win the competition, we'll tell them why. And <laughs> Are you going to Waterpalooza? Yep, we're going to Waterpalooza. Well, that's it, folks. If you enjoyed what you heard just now, I'd love for you to follow us on Instagram at D-I-A-Z-H-P. Till next time.